0: Matthew chapter six. Matthew chapter six. We are continuing where we left off last week. And remember the title of this portion in Matthew chapter six, verse one was Beware of practising your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. So he, he's he's cautioning against practicing righteousness before men. And we talked about uh, uh, the practice of righteousness, we talked about prayer, and, you know, if, you know, different people pray in different ways. He encourages us to go into our closet and pray, we don't have to stand on the street corner. And I had mentioned that, that you know, when I'm in Israel, standing by the, the, the wall there, the wailing wall in Israel doesn't do anything for me, uh, spiritually or emotionally, and it does some for other people, everybody's different, so I, I didn't want to... Want to leave you with that impression that, that some people aren't affected by it. But um, uh, Jesus is encouraging us to pray. But now we're picking it up in verse 7 of Matthew chapter 6. This is actually where we left off. <clears throat> verse 7 of Matthew chapter 6. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then in this way. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive others their transgressions, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. So, Jesus, again, you know, up in verse, verse uh, 5, He had said, uh, When you pray. Up in verse 6, He had said, When you pray. In verse 7, When you are praying. So, again, you see that there's an assumption there that we pray. That we are praying. And then He says, When you pray, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do. So again, he's telling them to be different than the Gentiles. So how, do, how were the Gentiles praying? Well, we are told in other pa- passages to pray and keep on praying. To ask and keep on asking. So what does this mean about meaningless repetition? And the key there must be in the word meaningless. Because repetitive prayer is actually what we are told in other passages to do, to ask and keep on asking. But it's the meaningless repetition, meaningless repetition, thinking that if we just keep saying it over and over and over and over and over again, it's going to somehow move God. It's when that prayer, if it becomes meaningless, it could extrapolate, for example, into using a prayer book. Now, some people may use prayer books, that's that's up to them. But if the prayer book becomes meaningless, in the sense that you're just reading the words of another's prayer, then that then becomes meaningless to you. So just by reading those words doesn't mean that we're offering a prayer to God. Jesus is making a distinction here. He's talking about meaningless repetition. So there's nothing wrong with repetition, with continuing to bring your concern to God. A mother ought to be praying. A father ought to be praying for their children. This is what they ought to be doing. This is daily praying for our children. Daily praying for your family. This is what we are supposed to do, but it's not meaningless. It would be if I just thought, okay, if if I just say, Lord, bless my son Josiah. If I say that a hundred times, then God will really bless. Him. No, there has to be some meaning there, so he 's cautioning us against meaningless repetition, just thinking if we say it a certain number of times, then we 're good to go that 's what he 's saying. He says, don't pray that way. He says, when you 're praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. so in other words, it 's not so much the manyness in a sense, of our words. It is, it is uh, uh, what's coming from our heart. God is continually bringing this back to a situation of our hearts. And so the words don't have to be, you know, King James words or, or pleasant English. You can talk to God as you talk to God, as long as it's from our heart. This is what He's asking us to do. And I have concerns that are no concern to anybody else. But they're concerned to me, and I bring them before my Father. These are things that I'm supposed to do. You have concerns that only you have, that you may not particularly want to share with anybody else. You bring them to the Lord. To you, they mean something. To you, it's really important. There are small concerns that I bring to the Lord that, that people would think, that's just such trivia. You know, why, why bother God? I mean, he has to, as, as, as Tevius said on, in... Uh, in, in uh, Fiddler on the Roof. You know, I know you're busy with famines and plagues, and but if you could just hear me on this one thing. You know, yes, God is busy with famines and plagues, but He wants us to bring to Him even our little things. This is between you and God. This has meaning to you. It has meaning to God. You know, my, my son this morning, he came to me, Ben came to me, he says, Dad, I have to tell you this story. And I Right away stopped, I was tell me the story. I immediately wanted to hear. Why? This is my son. He wanted to tell me some, something that happened. He wanted to tell. And, and so right away, I wanted to hear. This is how God is. If something is important to us, it's important to God. It has meaning. And so you can bring this every day to God. Then it's not meaningless repetition. It is repetition. And that is fine. Then he says in verse 8, So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Interesting, God knows what you need before you even ask Him. God knows what you need before you even make your request. Isn't that interesting? Before you make your request, God knows what you need. So why does He ask us to pray? This is something for us to do so we understand the mind of God. It brings us to God. brings us in communication with the Father. This is a great thing, that He knows what we need before we even ask Him. I am glad that God knows better what I need than I know. That doesn't mean that I don't ask. He encourages me to ask. He just said, go ahead, repeat yourself in prayer. Just let your prayer not be meaningless. Don't let it just be reciting something over and over again. He says, this is the way the Gentiles do it, and they think they're going to be heard because of their many words. He says, repetitive prayer should not be meaningless. It must come from your heart. And then he goes on to say, he says, did you know that God knows your needs before you even ask Him? I am so glad that God has not answered my every prayer with, yes, you got it. I have prayed for some things that I am so glad that I never got. And, and it's almost embarrassing if I were to, to tell you some of the things that I prayed for. But, you, but God knows what you need. And this is great that God is there to filter this thing out and say yes. The answer to this one is yes. And the answer to this one is, I will spare you. I will spare you from granting you this. You know, very often a young person will be praying, God, you know, just give me that person, that, that person as a spouse. And then a few years later, they're so glad God didn't give them that person as a spouse. Because it turns out God had someone much better, or that individual turned out not to be quite what you thought that they were. So aren't you glad that God does not immediately answer every prayer? Imagine what he would become and what we would become if he granted us our every prayer. I mean, we, we would take this on with great wickedness. And so God puts us in a position that's very different, that he knows what we need even before we ask him. And so this one he may grant with the answer yes, and he always answers prayers, and sometimes the answer is no, and sometimes the answer is wait because He gives it to us in the best time. You know, there are things that I've asked for in my career, early on in my career, that were not necessarily bad things, but had they been given to me, I look back now, and I never would have been ready for them. And so what would have happened is, it would have built up this huge expectation, that, you know, this is what comes. And then it would have been much harder To build up a normal career. he, You know, he he talks about the children of Israel. He told them as they were coming into the land, he would not grant them the land all at once. But they would have to conquer the land little by little. Why not? Why? Why not just, you know, they believe God, just go into the land of promise and he'd give it to them. He said, lest the wild animals consume you. In other words, some things are too much for us to get all at once. And we in our zeal are praying and praying and and, and asking God for it. And the answer may be yes. Over your lifetime, I will give that to you. Over your career, I will give that to you. You know, you may pray for a certain position in your career. God may grant that to you, but it may not be next year. It may be in 20 years you get that position. God knows what's best. So you go ahead and ask. Trust your Father in Heaven that He is able to grant you in the perfect time that which you need. And that's why he says, he says, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. He knows what's best. He knows what you need. I mean, my son asks me all the time for you know, a certain kind of car. And he's not getting that kind of car. He can drive my minivan. That is the best thing for, for him. He says, Dad, it's embarrassing. I had to park in the back. I said, look, I drive to school all the time in a minivan. He said, yeah, but you're old. <laughs> you know, you can't, you can't be a young guy driving a minivan. But, you know, I kind of like it because I know he's not going to be, you know, peeling out, at, you know, when the light turns green. I mean, who, who are you going to impress with a front-wheel drive minivan, <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know, this is what's best for him. In time, you know, he, he may get that car. But, but right now, the best thing for him, this is what he needs. This is all that he needs. This is the best thing for him. God is the same way. There's many things that we're not ready for. And then he says, in verse 9, pray then in this way. Now, look what he does not say. It is really telling what Jesus does not say. He does not say, pray this prayer. Now, this prayer has become the prayer that everybody prays. You know, you pray this is in church. I pray. This is exactly what he said not to do. Don't use meaningless repetition. I mean, you just mouth these words. It's meaningless repetition. He says, don't do it. And then what does the church do? They do it. It's meaningless repetition just to mouth these words. He doesn't say, pray this prayer. He says, pray in this way. Let this be the outline of your prayer. This is what He tells them to do. Let this be the outline of your prayer. And so this is, remember, this is what the Sermon on the Mount is. It is where the righteousness of the law would bring these children of Israel before His death, where it would take them if they followed the pattern of the law, law, in contradistinction to the words of the Pharisees. And this is why the Pharisees, this is why Jesus said, you have heard it said, you have heard it said. So he was negating the oral law. Because whenever he quoted the Bible, he says, it is written, it is written. So in chapter 5, he kept saying, you have heard it said, you have heard it said, but I tell you this. So again, you see this contradistinction to the oral law. And then he's saying, this is where the righteousness of the law should lead you. But lest you feel that this prayer is for those children of Israel only, in Luke chapter 11, he has a very similar model to this and that was not just the model under the law because he speaks specifically in chapter 5 that this is the law and the prophets where it should take you. But in chapter 11, his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray and he has a very similar model to this. That's why we can bank on this for us as well. Remember, this Sermon on the Mount was for a particular people that were still under the law. Other portions teach us how we live today. But look what he says. He says, pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So the first thing he says is acknowledge God's greatness. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Our Father, my Abba, my Father, the one who I go to. This is what he says. He says that we can address God as our Father. I mean, this is huge. This is huge. God is not afar off. To be able to address God As father. And this word father is really Abba. Which means daddy. It is a closeness of relationship. You know, that is something your children call you. That is the expression that's used. This is what he's saying. You approach God as you would your own father. There is a relationship here. He says, this is how you can approach God. And he says... You, you first say, hallowed be thy name. In other words, you are great. Start out acknowledging the greatness of your Father. Secondly, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, acknowledging, Lord, I'm about to ask you for a bunch of things. But I acknowledge that I want your will to be done. I'm going to ask you for certain things, but if it's not best for me. You have the final call. That is better. What God has for us is better than what we want for ourselves. That's a good thing to ask for. Father, I'm going to ask You for some things. But ultimately, I placed it in Your hands. Let Your will ultimately be done. This is an acknowledgement of God's ultimate will in our lives. I don't want for me. What you don't want me to have. I don't want more money than you want me to have because that will definitely draw me astray. I don't want a spouse that you don't want me to have. I ultimately submit this to you, my Father. It's an acknowledgement. You may have heard it said that, that, that people have said that the first thing you've got to do before you pray is just ask God to forgive you of your sins to make sure your slate is clean. It's interesting. Jesus didn't start that way. We get to that later on. He started in this way. He said... Acknowledge your Father and His greatness and His supremacy over your prayers that you are about to pray, that you lay this at His feet. In other words, Lord, from this, you pick and choose what you have, your ultimate will be done. And then the next thing He says is, in verse 11, Give us this day our daily bread. That doesn't mean, remember, it's not meaningless repetition give me this day my daily breath. No, this is my daily needs. You see how specific it is. It's not, Oh Lord, grant our country great mercies. That's a fine prayer. But he says, not at this time. At this time, you distill this thing down to your daily need. What is it you need? This is getting to the basic sustenance of life. This is why I say it is not a wrong thing to pray for Trivia. If it's important to you, it's important to your father. With my children, the things that concern them concern me. You know, 20% of my CPU is always on my children. Just always. I mean, I'd be working, doing my chemistry solving. 20% of of my brain is is fixed upon my children. And usually, it's fixed upon the one who is struggling the most. And I'm thankful that that it oscillates between them. That that uh, uh, but but you will see this when you are a parent. That a portion of your mind will always be on your children. Jasmine, yeah, even now, When you're working in the lab and I'm paying you, you're thinking of Manuel when I'm paying you. Yes, yeah, you, you can't stop. I mean, this is life. This is where the heart of of, of a parent is. This is what God does. Always your mind is thinking of this child, and you think that this will go away when they grow up. No, it, it gets more, because the problem is getting much, much bigger. Wait until they hit adolescence, and you see, you see this change. But adolescence is a good thing, or else you'd want to cling to this baby forever. Adolescence says, "I don't want to be with you," and they, "I don't want to be with you either." And good you go. I mean, this is, this is a good thing. Without adolescence, you'd cleave on to this this kid forever. So, he says, give us this day our daily bread. This is the basic things that we pray for. He's not saying you pray this prayer. He says you pray in this way. This is the construct he's given us. Pray in this way. You ask for the daily things that concern you. You ask for this. Then he says, and forgive us our debts, Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Now, here's the part of forgiveness. Right near the end, it comes the forgiveness part. So you have a prescription that, oh, you didn't ask God to forgive you, so he didn't listen to all your prayers? No. Jesus said, it's fine. The same way we say, Lord, forgive us our debts. Forgive us of our sins the same way we forgive others. Then he says, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is an acknowledgement of the spiritual kingdom. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In other words, there is evil in the world. There is evil in the world. This is an acknowledgement of evil in the world. You think that, oh, you know, people just make this up, everybody's good. Not so. There is evil. There is evil intent. There's demonic powers working in this world that are real. Jesus speaks about them. Jesus confronts demonic powers. You don't believe in demons? Just pull all those pages out of your Bible that you don't believe in. You're not going to have much left. Jesus believed in them. Demonic powers. He says, don't lead us into temptation. I pray this prayer all the time. Lord, please keep me from temptation. I'm not that great that I can overcome sin in myself. Like, bring it on. No, I don't, don't bring it on. Keep me from it. I don't want to stumble. I don't want to fall. I have prayed this prayer many times. Lord, if I would ever succumb to to immorality in my marriage and go with another one. Father, I pray you'd kill me first. I don't want to bring a bad, uh, this kind of influence into my family. And disgrace my family, disgrace my life and disgrace my God. Keep me from temptation. Deliver me from evil. And there are steps that I need to take to keep me from temptation. Steps that I need to take to keep me from temptation. So, for example, whenever any female will walk into my office, the door stays open. If it's a female alone in my office with me, the door of my office stays open. I don't care if she's crying about her bad grade in organic chemistry. She can cry with the door open. And my secretary knows I've instructed her, if a woman walks in and shuts the door behind her, get up. And open the door. And as soon as that woman comes in and shuts the door, I'm going to get up and open the door. Because I don't want the appearance of evil. And so, so let it be there. And I also have in the corner of my room is a camera filming everything that goes on in my office. You say, well, why do you have that? Well, I have it for security. This was put in at a, at a time when we were doing a lot of secure work. But it's good. It's filming there. So everything that goes on in my office. I'm happy for that. That is good. That protects me. That protects me. You say, oh, you, you know, nothing will really happen. Not so. You don't know. In my career, it doesn't happen as much now but as it used to, but in my career there have been times that young women would come in and say suggestive things in order to improve a grade. They would do anything, anything, as they're leaning over my desk. You know, so things happen. I need protection, so don't worry, it doesn't happen much anymore <laughs> but but these things happen. We have to pray against temptation and take steps. This is why I say it's you, you know, I don't recommend that a that a guy and a girl stay alone in a room at night studying together that That door ought to stay wide open or they ought to go somewhere else and study. I don't recommend it. I don't know if you're going to fall. I'll tell you. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it. You know, if I'm on a business trip, I may, you know, have a meal and, 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 and there may, may be a, a woman there from, you know, another professor that we may have a meal, but I would never, never go into their room with them or have them near my room with me. Never. Never do it. I would never even give them my room number, nor would I ask them for their room number. I wouldn't do it. I just don't want that temptation. Lord, keep us from temptation. You see, Jesus says, Pray that you don't fall into temptation. I know my weaknesses. God, protect me. God, protect me. Young people say, Well, don't you trust me? The answer No, I don't trust you. I don't even trust myself. I don't trust you. I don't trust you because I know the heart of man. That's why I don't trust you. Because I know the weakness of my own heart. And we are really the same. We are one and the same. Then he says in verse 14, for if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. This is powerful. You say, how can you be so hard? You're not going to forgive me if I don't forgive anybody else? And Jesus says, right, because you just asked for that. Up in verse 12, you said, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And you know what God does? He says, okay, you don't forgive, I don't forgive you. Oh, don't be so hard. Well, you just ask for it. God gives us what we ask for in that. We don't forgive, He doesn't forgive us. That's what He says. This is a frightening thing. It is a frightening thing. God calls us to forgiveness. I don't care what an individual or a group or people have done to us, God gives us the power to forgive. Jesus, who hung on the cross and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what what they do, is the one who calls us to forgive. We are to be a different people. Remember, we are to bless those who curse us, pray for those who mistreat us, do good to those who persecute us. We are to do good, acts of good in return to those who persecute us. And if they say we are weak, let them say we are weak. We will be all the better. You know, there's a portion that I've been meditating on all week. It's just a tremendous portion. Look in in, Psalm 130. Just a tremendous portion. Psalm 130. And I'll I'll give you just some of the things that I was contemplating on this week as as I was meditating on that portion. Psalm 120, Psalm 130, Psalm 130, verse 3 and 4. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, in other words, if you should keep track of all my sins, O Lord, who could stand? Look, you see the psalmist, look at what he's saying. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? You see the exasperation. O Lord, who could stand if you should mark iniquities? If you should keep track of all my sins, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared meditating. Lord, what do you mean? So for me, when I meditate on the Word of God, I'm saying, Lord, show me what you mean. Lord, reveal this to me. What does it mean that you may be feared? You know, one who forgives, you think, oh, you know, they're weak-hearted, they forgive. No, they're large-hearted to forgive. It is easy to walk in unforgiveness. It is easy, easy to walk in judgment. It is easy to say, you have done this to me. Shame on you! It's easy to say that. It is, takes a much bigger person to say, "Forgive him. It. It's over. Let it go. To just let it go, let it go." And I said, "Lord, what do you mean that you may be feared? And it came back to me, just an example of forgiveness in, from my childhood. When my brother was a teenager, he was he he had his Bigger than I am, he's taller than I am, he's broader than I am. And he was, he just, I don't know, when, when he turned like 12 years old, he started growing a beard, and he just matured very early on, hit puberty very early, and became really tough and, and angry. And, and uh, I, I would see him just pick fights, go up to you know some of the biggest guys in school and pick fights, and he, they wouldn't want to mess with him because they knew that he was really a tough kid. And uh, um, nobody bothered me because they knew that, Jeff Tour was my brother, and and uh, so, as angry as he was, he was 15 years old, and and uh, my father had told him to do something, and he was really angry, and he started hitting my father, and and he, and I don't mean just you know messing around. I mean he really got and and he he had uh, been on drugs and smoking pot and and been in many things, and and I I remember I I jumped in between just. My father wasn't trying to hit him. He was just trying to get away from this kid. And then when they got them separated, my father just said, Out of this house. Out. And and my brother, you know, went out and jumped on his motorcycle, which he had when he was 15, and he used to drive on the roads anyway and drive through the woods. And, and then, you know, my dad called the police and said, You know, my, my son has become violent. He's, he's uh, you know, he hit me. He's driving a motorcycle around. He doesn't have a license. And I... Remember, you know, I used to work at a gas station on the highway where my brother worked. And the police, the Parkway police came in and they said, tell Jeff not to come around because if we find him, we're going to have to arrest him. You know, the Parkway police, you know, knew my brother. But I remember after three days, my brother came home. And he met my dad in the front lawn and he said, I'm sorry. And my dad embraced my brother. And my dad, he was still bruised up from where my brother had hit him. In his face. And he hugged my brother. He put his arm around him. And he said, come on in the house. To this day, of all my siblings, my brother respects my father the most. This forgiveness. This demonstration of forgiveness. Without any demands. It's okay. Come on in the house. He wouldn't hear another word of it didn't want to hear another word of it he just welcomed him back in the house with his arms around him my brother to this day respects my father more than any of the other siblings and, and, and my brother's a lawyer and he takes care of my father's you know, accounting sorts of business and everything and takes care of that for my mom and dad you will garner great fear from others which is honor and respect fear is honor and respect when you walk in forgiveness I'll give you another example One of my colleagues once attacked me in a faculty meeting for inviting uh, uh, the faculty and the students to a Christian event. I sent out an email, and I just got utterly attacked by this faculty member. He said some really bad things about me in front of many others. And about a week later, he came up to me, and he said, you know, I'm sorry, that was so wrong of me. I didn't even give you a chance to speak. He says, for the rest of my career... I will regret what I said to you. And I said to him, you know, don't worry about it. I've said so many things in my career. I've done so many things that I'm ashamed of. Don't worry about it. Forget it. It's over. And uh, that person now is in charge of university accounting budgets. And I've had a real rough time recently with my grants, with with some grants not coming in. And my my group has just really been without much money. And in this time, he designated some money from the department for my group. I mean, a lot of money. I said, what are you doing? He says, don't worry. It's all right. I mean, this man has come to my aid. Now, God really blessed me this past week. We've got two big grandsons, so I'm just so thankful, just this past week. But I see this guy that said these things to me that I forgave, and I really forgave him, has come and been my greatest advocate, and a great fan of mine. You will gain great favor if you learn to walk in an attitude of forgiveness, to really forgive those who have hurt you. You will be greatly feared. It says, because, but there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared, that you may be respected and honored. You will bring great honor and respect in your life. If you learn to walk in forgiveness, very different than the world walks, very different than the way the world does it, a show of forgiveness is not a show of weakness. It is a show of enormous strength. And that's why God says, if you don't forgive others, I shall not forgive you either. Let's pray. Abba, Father, I thank You so much for the truth of Your Word. I thank You for what You call us to in prayer. That You call us to a place that we acknowledge that all good things are from You. And that we submit all our prayers to You. Father, that You call us to be able to pray even for the trivial things in our lives that we can pray for. Because if they mean something to us, they mean something to You because You are our Father. That you show us that we can call you our Father. And Lord, I thank you that you call us into a place of forgiveness that is so different from the world. And in this, we garner, garner honor and respect. Lord, Lord, if you should mark iniquities, who could stand? Oh Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with You that You may be feared. Thank You. Thank You, my Abba Father, that You forgive us and that You call us into the same attitude of forgiveness. You call us into an ideal that cannot be gotten in and of ourselves, but is from You. Lord, I pray for these young people. I pray for them, that You get a hold of their hearts, that they would learn to walk in forgiveness, And they would see that in the end, they would garner great honor and respect because they are people of forgiveness. Father, your grace be there in their lives, I pray. The grace of God be there. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.